So we've been teaching on dealing with the devil. Somebody has to. And God's given that authority to us. You can pray to him to deal with the devil, and he won't because he's given us authority. And tonight, I just want to talk about the basis of our authority to deal with the devil. And uh, because it's just getting darker out there. And uh, there's a lot more uh, evil influence. We have to step up. We have to deal with it. So the place I would begin if I were to teach this to a group of young disciples, I'd go to Mark 16, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they shall cast out demons, right off the top. They shall speak with new tongues. And he goes on about having spiritual protection and, and uh, uh, laying hands on the sick, and they shall recover. This was the first thing I ever read that, that gave me permission. Uh, I needed that. I needed a, you know, it wasn't just for the 12 apostles, and it wasn't just for the traveling evangelists coming through. I'm a believer. These signs shall follow those who believe. I, I'm a believer who believes. And this verse was, was hugely instrumental in, in giving me consent from Jesus to deal with this. And so I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, send, send me some demonized people, some demon-possessed people. I, I only prayed that once, because it happened. I mean, I just got into it and just had experience after experience. And uh, it's not something I'm pursuing, but it's something I've had to do. I guess what, what got in my heart is, is if someone needs deliverance, nothing, nothing else will do. No medicine, a lobotomy, counseling, prayer by itself. If, if, if someone needs deliverance, somebody has to step up and deal with the devil, and that falls on us. And so uh, the question that people often grapple with is, uh, where do we get the authority to do this? And so I thought we'd take a few minutes tonight and establish this. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And it's kind of cutting into a middle of a thought. Verse 19 is the middle of a thought. It says, and, and he's praying that, that we would have this revelation. And, and what is the exceeding greatness? He's praying that the church would know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's praying that we'd have a revelation of that. According to his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And so what he did when he raised Jesus from the dead is he put him, put him in heavenly places and seated him above everything, everything. And, um, and then he goes on to say that we've been made this be seated with Christ. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, uh, he's talking about being made alive. Uh, um, I don't want to read the whole thing because it's probably this, it's this thick. But chapter 1, or chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, look at verse 6 where he's talking about being 
by grace we've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now, you put those two verses together, it's so powerful. He raised Jesus up and seated him in heavenly places against all principalities. Principalities is another, uh, well, let me say it this way. All angels have order and have a rank, a ranking system. Gabriel's called an archangel, which is, or archangel, which is the number one angel. It's arch means uh, primary or the first angel. He's the first, uh, first in order. So he's the highest angel that there is. And then there's angels, there's principalities, powers, and rulers, both in the good angels, but also in the bad angels, in the darkness. And so we take those two verses, and he seated Jesus above every principality and power, and above every, every name that can be named. And then he tells us here that we've been to made uh, to sit together with him in heavenly places. So we have a position in Christ that's above every demon. There's no demon that can just do what he wants to do. If you tell him to stop, if you tell him to leave, they have to. To disobey you would be to disobey Jesus, and that's unthinkable. It's impossible. They don't, they are rebellious by nature, and so they don't want to leave. It's very, very hard for them to take control of a person. It's a long, laborious process, so they don't want to leave all that work. They don't want to leave a geographic area because they've, there's a pecking order. Demons don't get along with each other. They fight all the time. They're very territorial, um, and so there's some things that they don't want to do, so they're reluctant, but if you tell them to do it, they must do it because we've been given this kind of authority. And um, he's talking about Jesus uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. He's gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers haven't been made subjective to him. So there's three verses that talk about Jesus going into the heavens, sitting down at the right hand of the Father, and all... all uh, angels, authorities, and powers. So when you come to that word powers, or authorities, or rulers, it's talking about an order of demons. Some demons come out very, very easy. Uh, it's not because they haven't had time to uh, really get into someone, but because they have limited authority. It's very easy to tell them to move on, and they don't fuss, they don't fight. And then there's some angels, there's some fallen uh, angels, some demons that uh, have more authority, and, and you're going to have to work harder at that um, to really deal with them. But I would say this. If you want to see your authority increase, and we were talking about this the other day, if you want to see your authority increase, take these verses, print them out somewhere where you can see them regularly, and the more you look at it, the more you look at it, the more you look at it, and get it into your heart, Picture yourself, Jesus being seated beside the Father, and you're being seated with Christ, looking down at every demon, looking down at all the angels. He mentions angels, authorities, and powers. Uh, he does uh, Different times the Bible will, will say angels or spirits. 
And it doesn't make a distinction whether it's good angels or bad angels because it doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus has authority over every angel. He has authority over Michael. He has authority over Gabriel. He has authority over everything. He has authority over Lucifer. He has authority. So it doesn't really matter whether it's a good angel or a bad angel. It's the same. Then there seems to be, so this, this, there's an authority that's given to us because of, of Jesus and because of our proximity to him. Then there's a specific authority. And, and uh, uh, you can see it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So all authority has been given to Jesus. So we have access to that. But there's also a sense where he's saying, now, I'm commissioning you to go. I'm commissioning you with that authority to go into all the world. Luke does it a little differently. Luke chapter 10, verses 19 to 20 says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. I remember taking that phrase, all the power of the enemy, and letting that get into my heart. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that uh, the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what happened is uh, Jesus gave these disciples a very specific authority. So it would be like Jesus uh, speaking to, to, to Nelson and saying, Nelson, I want you to go and cast out demons. Well, when Jesus says that to you, something happens that's beyond general, that's beyond something for everyone. He's saying that to you. And I've met people who have had an encounter with the Lord where the Lord has actually showed up in such a very powerful, obvious way, or either prophetically or in a vision form, and said, I want you to cast out demons. Well, when that happens, another level of authority, a different kind of authority kicks in because you've heard from Jesus. You've been, in, you've been given a special release, and that's worth having. That is a game changer. Those people... Those people, they don't even wonder whether the devil will come out. They just, it's not even a question whether he'll come out. It's just that he will come out. They will come out because they've had a word from the Lord that has changed them. And um, so I think that's worth pressing in for. Uh, there's two words for the Greek, uh, the Greek word power. So uh, exius which is talking about delegated influence. That's the first time when Jesus said, I give you authority. And uh, it shows up. I'll, I'll read a couple of verses which uses the word authority in terms of I give you, I give you permission. I give you um, uh, um, mastery. I give you uh, influence. I give you competency. You now have a capacity, a privilege to exercise this. And so here's a couple of verses where it's used. And, and that's the most general word, Greek word, for authority. So listen to these verses. And he called the 12 his 12 disciples, and he gave them power, that's the word authority, 
against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That's Matthew 10, 1. So Jesus is giving them authority. And Jesus came and spoke to them. This was Matthew 28, 18, saying unto them, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. So that's all authority. Mark 3, 15 says, uh, and they, they have authority to heal sicknesses and cast out, de, uh, cast out devils. So that's the word authority. He called the 12 and he sent them forth two by two and, and gave them power over unclean spirits. That's Mark 6, 7. Now there's another Greek word for power, and it's the word dunamis. And dunamis is specifically miraculous power. Now listen to this. Luke chapter 4, verse 36. And they're all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what, is, what a word is this? For with authority and power, two words, authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. So Jesus operated not just with authority that the Father delegated to him, but he had miraculous power. It's a whole other level. He had both operating. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and the cure diseases. So when Jesus gives you that, he's not just given authority as to the whole church. He's given you specific authority. It actually now comes home to you Plus, he's given you a miraculous power on top of that. Those two things is what we need to press in for. That becomes a game changer. And when you meet someone who just walks in that miraculous power, it's just different. It's they, they carry themselves differently. They approach the whole thing differently. They're not fooling around. Uh, they have miraculous power. To cast out a demon is a miracle. Jesus said, you know, remember John, he, he come up and he complained and he said, there's guys casting out demons in your name and we forbid them because they don't walk with us. They're not in the same group with the, as us. And, and Jesus said, don't forbid them. He that's not f against us is for us. But no one can do a miracle in my name and be the same, remain the same. So this whole demon stuff is a miracle. So if you have miraculous power on top of authority, it's a game changer. That's worth pressing in for. So if you're interested in doing a deeper study, if you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19, this is New King James. He uses both words, power, in the same verse, but using them differently. He says, behold... I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil or of the enemy and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. He uses the word power twice. They're two different Greek words. You have power over all the miraculous power. You have miraculous power. You have authority over all the miraculous power of the devil is what he's saying. That's worth pressing in for. I think the miraculous power is what's missing in the church so often. And uh, we, we, I don't know, I don't know anybody 
really. He's really pressing him for the miraculous power to deal with the devil. I suppose if we moved our church to Brooklyn, we'd all be pressing in for it. If we moved our church to Buffalo, we'd all be pressing for it. In Penyan, I've met people who have demons in Penyan. There are people who've come to this church that we did not set free. They're, they're, they came, they left, and they're still in bondage. Because something has to come into our hearts and our lives which helps us to be able to deal with the devil in a discreet way where you're not imposing, you're not, you're not uh, pushing, yet at the same time, the moment you speak, the moment you touch, it's game over. I remember Ora Roberts was given this power uh, by God, not just authority, but miraculous power. And he'd have a tent, massive tent, biggest tent in the world, set up, big canvas tent. Grant, imagine setting up a canvas tent. Ours is vinyl. I mean, just acres of canvas. And they'd have one tent. Then they'd have a tent filled with sick people. And the demon eyes would also come. And uh, uh, I read one story where uh, he was walking to the tent, and, and this gal was overtaken by a demon in a car in the parking lot. And Aura was walking by and he, with his entourage, and, and he stopped, and he opened the car door, and the demons had taken over this gal. And he reached in his hand. He just believed if he touched her, she'd be free. And so he reached into his hand. He says it was like a hundred little hands pushing back against my hand, invisible hands pushing back against his hand. The devil did not want that girl to be touched because the moment he touched her, she'd be set free because he had miraculous power. It's a different level. So there's a guy named Lester Summerall, and uh, he's working in Manila in the Philippines, and he's trying to get the church established. He's trying to get land. He's, he's the, no one will talk with him, no officials. Everything is a bribe system. It's very corrupt. And he's an American trying to buy land in Manila. I mean, it's really, really difficult uh, trying to get this church established. And one day he woke up and he got the newspaper and he read a headline that says that demons had taken over a girl in prison. And actually, I think they put her in prison for her own safety. And these demons would bite her. She would scream and fall down and, and uh, scream like she, she was like fighting for her life. And when they went in to check on her, there'd be bite marks, teeth marks all over her where something invisible was biting her skin, and she would just be terrified. Lester read about this, and his first response is, I'll take care of that. He'd been traveling with Howard Carter, and he just dealt with every demon between you know, uh, Los Angeles, where they left, all the way around into Moscow, and uh, just everywhere. And so he said, I'll take care of that. So he sent out word asking for permission to see the girl, and it was a sensation. This was on the head. This was headline news every day. Uh, what was going on with this girl? The television crews were going in trying to film it. It was a sensation. And so he got word and sent word and said, uh, "I will cast this demon out on this day." And he named the date, if I got it right. And uh, and that was a sensation that someone was going to do something because everyone felt powerless to stop this invisible 
torment. And so he fasted and prayed, locked himself away, fasted and prayed, and then one day made his way to the prison, introduced himself and said, let me pray for her. I want to see her. So he went in, and this thing went crazy. And Lester has authority, but he has power. And he walked in, and she was completely set free. He brought her out completely in her right mind. The mayor and, and all kinds of officials lined up and said, what can we give you? What can we do? He says, well, I wanted, I wanted land in downtown Manila, and I've had trouble getting it. They said, you can have it. They gave him prime real estate, and he put up a massive church building. I think it's called Cathedral of Praise in, in Manila, and it's still there to this day. But they, gave, they said, whatever you want, we'll give it to you because it was, this, it was such a sensation. We see that kind of stuff happen in the Bible. Let's switch gears a little bit. So if you want to study power and authority, that's the best place to go to. That should be your go-to to find out what you need for authority. Um, there is moral authority. In other words, if you're doing all the same things that these demons are doing, you'll have no authority to say anything. Uh, you won't get very far. I happen to read a newspaper account. I forgot to share this. And this is, go back, September 11th, 2000. A 19-year-old girl was screaming incomprehensibly, speaking in a cadaverous voice and displaying superhuman strength when security personnel tried to restrain her. This was in, in the Vatican, in St. Peter's Cathedral. I've been there. It's a huge, huge building, and all of a sudden... You got a girl screaming, and that voice is ringing, a cadaverous voice ringing uh, all through those halls. And so the guards tried to restrain her. They couldn't. So they sent for the pope because he was there, and he comes down every day to do mass. So he held her for half an hour, praying over the girl, hugging her, and ordering the demon to leave. He promised to celebrate a special mass, especially for her the next day. But the demons didn't come out. So they brought in this guy named uh, Gabriel uh, Amarth, who is the exodus for the Vatican. And he came in and he prayed for the girl for two hours, but he too was unsuccessful. Amarth, he testified during his exorcism that the demons mocked the Pope, saying, not even your church head can send me away. So being a church leader or being, uh, having ch local church authority means nothing. That's not the issue. It's authority that comes from Jesus. Even the Pope couldn't deal with it. Uh, and that's happened, that's happened, I think, a couple times. But I remember keeping that, clipping, because uh, it just reminds me that it's, it's, uh, we need something from Jesus to deal with this stuff. So the word rebuke, let's look at the word rebuke. It's not my favorite word in the Bible. And uh, <laughs> we had this one family in our church where I used to pastor, a great family. And the kids were homeschooled for a long time. And then after a while, it became too much. And, and so they sent them to public school. And, they, you know, it's hard on them. It's really hard to go from homeschooling to public school. If you've done that, you know it's hard. And so they got, would get on the bus every day, and the kids would pick on them and torment them. 
And it was really hard. They didn't want to get on the bus. They didn't want to go to school. They wanted to be homeschooled. They couldn't do it for that season of their life. And so the, they were complaining to the mom. The mom says, what you do, if they start doing that, you, you get up and you say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. So <laughs> they got on the bus, and the kids started tormenting them. And they said, I rebuke you. And they said, I puke on you too. <laughs> so the word rebuke out there, you know, in society doesn't mean anything much. It doesn't, it's not a word that uh, means a whole lot even in the church, I suppose. So to rebuke something is a lot more than hollering the phrase, I rebuke you. To just say, I rebuke you, means nothing. It won't do anything. You can say, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. It doesn't mean anything by itself. So let's look at the scripture, because Jesus, uh, it, it pertains to him. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, down to verse 28. Jesus went in the synagogue, you know the story, and, and they shouted, the demons started crying out, saying, let us alone. What do, what do we have... To, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You, did you come to destroy us? So Jesus is walking in authority. So he he's, has authority so that he walks into these synagogues. Demons are flying out the window. They're screaming. They're acting up. It doesn't say this, but I bet there are board members. I, I bet there are leaders. I bet they said, you know, Brother, Brother Moshi we're having a hard time with him. He wrecks every meeting. He wrecks every board meeting. He's so hard to deal with. And, and no one likes him. And, and there's no fellowship. And they can't get along with him. And he fights. He's got a short fuse. Jesus walks in the synagogue. And all of a sudden, Moshe starts manifesting. <laughs> I think that's what happened. They said, we know who you are. That's authority. They recognize his authority. You're the Holy One of God. But let's look at this verse. It says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, that's the key. He rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. That's the rebuke. The rebuke is, be quiet. We're not tolerating you taking over this meeting. We rebuke you by saying something. So the rebuke is the command so just to say I rebuke you doesn't do anything. You have to tell them what the rebuke is. The rebuke is you're not speaking anymore. You're not disrupting this meeting, and I'm commanding you to come out. And they have to obey. I was in a meeting one time in India, and, and it was a night meeting in the, deep in the jungle in the, this little village, and it was like a dirt-packed dirt plaza, hundreds of people sitting on the ground, and the kerosene light is picking up all the faces and I'd been in this hotel that had these uh, casts, these plaster casts of different demon faces of their gods. And, uh, and so I'm in the meeting, and I'm looking out, and by kerosene lamp, I see one of those faces. A person's face had completely changed into the look of a demon, these bulging eyes and this tongue moving out like a snake. And it was moving like a cobra to the sound of the music. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. It's, it's, it's nighttime, I'm alone, I'm the only white guy there. Um, first night in that village. 
And here's a demon, so clearly. I mean, just, and the kerosene lantern just made it look even weirder. And, and so I said to my translator, excuse me. And so I walked back to where this woman was seated with this face. And I said to the demon, and it's interesting, it's a tribal person who doesn't speak any English, but it doesn't matter. I, I just spoke to the demon, and I said, look, at, I know you're here. I command you to, to, to not speak and not disrupt this meeting. I command you to lay down, and I'll deal with you later. And the demon just laid down. The woman just laid down. And so after the meeting, we, we had a powerful meeting. Pray just for the baptism of spirit, and it was just powerful. And then went back, dealt with her, dealt with the demons, and, and, and then that story can go on again. Maybe I'll pick it up here in a few minutes, but, but to say I rebuke you means nothing. The rebuke is part of the command. What, do you, what are you saying? What do you want them to do? And you got to be careful. You can't send them to hell. You can't send them to the abyss. You can't there's stuff you can't do, so keep it real simple. What you don't want them to do is you don't want them to take over the meeting. You don't want them to draw attention to themselves. But once, once they've manifested and you know they're there, that's all you need to take care of it. You don't, you don't need a whole lot else because now part of your authority is that they've been exposed. Once they've been exposed, it's, that's like half the battle. And so step up, use your voice, speak to them. In fact, um, after that meeting, I, 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 I rebuked that spirit. It laid down, went back. I dealt with it after, told it to come out. And then the lady just came too. She just became herself. And uh, so I went to uh, this little mud hut that they had prepared for me and a few of the guys who were traveling, uh, a part of the team. And a, a knock came to my door and... And they said, Pastor, the demons have taken over again. You need to come. And that was a weird thing, going out at night. And it's all by kerosene lantern, maybe a, maybe a really poor flashlight. But the, the doors on the houses are really low. You have to really squat down to get into these little doors. And so I, I knew there was a demon-possessed person in that room, and I had to squat down to get in. And when I did, it lunged at my feet wanting to bow down to touch my feet. And I forbid it. I said, no, you do not touch me. I didn't want that honor. I didn't want, I didn't want anything from that demon at all. And, and I commanded it to leave. And, and uh, there was a struggle. And then she kind of like fainted and came to and was herself again. And, and so now I could go to bed. And so we all we went to bed. And the next morning... Now, this woman, this woman that was doing this uh, had been a Christian. And she had gone to a, a witch doctor. And usually in exchange for whatever the witch doctor gives you for healing, maybe she needed medicine, usually there's sex involved. And something happened. There was some kind of ex encounter with a witch doctor. And so this poor lamb had been taken over by, by demons to the extent that she couldn't speak couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't eat, couldn't walk. And so just completely took over. And so um, the next morning, we woke up, and we're having tea. And one of the brothers, he said, um, can you, 
Did I, have I told you this before? Is this new? Maybe, I don't think I've told it to you, but they said, can we smoke a demon out? And I said, what do you mean? I'm not sure I really understand. They said, well, we found a demon-possessed person. We put a blanket over them. We lit a fire under the blanket to get smoke, to smoke the demon out. And I said, did you do this before you were spirit-filled? Like, did you do this? They were, some of them were Baptists. Uh, did you do this before you really knew about the Holy Spirit? And they kind of looked at each other, and they laughed. They were really embarrassed. They said, no, we did it last week. I said, no. The Bible says that Jesus cast out spirits by his word. You, there's something about you speaking. It's not smoke. And, so <laughs> and then uh, someone came to the, the hut, and they said, sir, uh, this demon is back. Uh, or there's another demon, would you come and deal with it again? And now it's daylight. And so I, I left that group, and I went down. And I went on the, through the village into the where the mud hut was, where she was staying. And she was propped up against on this porch, and the mother was rolling up balls of rice and pushing it into her mouth to get her to eat. She couldn't see. She couldn't speak. And uh, when, the, when the demon was present... And uh, she had lost all her motor skills. So now I'm a little ticked off. And so uh, I get her around where I can get above her and put my hands on her. And I started rebuking, telling the demon what to do. And it started to respond. It looked like it was going to throw up. And oftentimes, uh, demons, when they come out, will vomit the, the nastiest, awful-smelling, awful, awful, dark, like dark blood, and they'll vomit, and that, that will happen as part of the release. And, and uh, I'd given a, a couple of rebukes by telling it what to do, and it was starting to respond, but when I saw this person begin to heave, uh, I have like the whitest feet you've ever seen. And I had white pants on and brand new sandals. And in my head, I thought, I don't want, I don't want this thing to vomit on my new sandals <laughs> and these white feet. And so I, I kept my hand on her head, but I started repositioning myself. Well, at that moment, the demon kind of became more demonstrative and more aggressive. And I knew I'd lost some ground. Well, then the crowd had gathered, and they start jeering and start throwing sticks and stones at the demons because they have no idea that you have to love the person. You don't have to love the demon, obviously, but you have to love the person. So what they're doing is, is not what Jesus would do. Right then, a brother that was, had been traveling with us, and he was a real grief to our team, had a whole different spirit, a whole different agenda that they went on our team. We struggled with him all week. He spoke up, and he, in, in the native tongue, because I'm speaking in English, but they're responding. In the local tribal tongue, he spoke and said, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus in the, in the tribal tongue. Well, that thing cranked its head around so quickly and looked at him 
and laughed in his face. And, I mean, right in front of me. I am, I am shocked at, at the contempt and just, it was, it was embarrassing. It was painful. And he just kind of stepped away. He was embarrassed. And we found out later, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the rest of the story. All of a sudden, this demon came alive and could walk now and talk and see. And we moved into a, a, a building. I was, uh, my motorcycle was there. We're getting ready to go to the airport. It was my last meeting. And, uh, and all of a sudden, a shadow came in the doorway, and this woman jumped like this, standing like Wonder Woman, uh, standing in the doorway, and now was walking, seeing, speaking. And uh, uh, we had lost so much ground. I couldn't understand exactly all that happened. It would be, the crowd really was going crazy. This demon now was acting up. Uh, it was just, it was just really difficult, and with difficulty, I left that scene, got on the motorcycle because it's time to go to the airport, and went on the motorcycle. My head was swimming, like what, what just happened? What was that about? On the plane, as I left, I said, Jesus, I feel so bad about what happened. Teach me, tell me what happened, explain it to me. Then I was going to be back there, I think, three months later or something, very short time later. I said, the first thing I'll do is I'll go to that woman's house and I'll, I'll, I'll cast the demons out of her. Please forgive me for, for losing ground. I, I didn't understand what happened. And so when I can get quiet, I, I asked Jesus to speak to me about it, and he did. And one of the things he spoke to me about was when I started to love my sandals more than her freedom. I was no longer in the name of Jesus. I lost all that authority because that's not what Jesus would do. So it didn't have to obey me anymore. That broke my heart. I cared more about my white feet than I cared about her freedom. I hadn't thought all that through, but when I look back on it, that's honestly what I was thinking. That's what I was concerned about. And I lost authority. The guy who spoke up, who had the suit on, the only guy with a suit, a wannabe, who was a fake. He, he, we found out so many things about him later. But our team, would we had so many difficulties with him. But what would happen is we'd all go to bed because we'd been traveling and preaching all day. He'd go. We had a, a Hindu driver, Jeep driver, and he'd go with the Hindu driver, and they'd get drunk late at night while the rest of the team was getting some sleep for the next day's meeting. Uh, he beat his wife. He, he had an affair with someone and got beat up and was thrown in jail. Many, many things that happened. But the demon didn't take him serious, cranked his head around and said, and laughed in his face. And the Lord said, it's because he wasn't in the name of Jesus. The crowd wasn't in the name of Jesus. So I said, Lord, the next time I'm back, the next time I'm back, I will, I will seek her out, and I'll set her free. In fact, the next time I'm back, just a short time later, uh, I was coming from the Jeep. There's a big crowd that surrounds you, and, 
and when, when they greet you. And so I'm from the Jeep getting toward the house, and as I passed, there she was, standing there. Only it was her, uh, the Christian woman, not a demonized person, saying, praise the Lord, brother. We're so glad you're here. And, uh, and, but the very first meeting we had, the demon took over and fell down, tried to disrobe her, and, and made a scene, and, and we rebuked the demon and t told it not to... Uh, not to do that anymore, but the thing, it, it, it was just a, a real lesson for me, and I, the whole story just is, uh, you need experiences, I guess, good and bad, to really grow and to really learn, so. Jesus rebuked the Spirit, saying to him, be quiet and come out. There's two parts to that. The demons convulsed and cried out with a loud voice and come out of him. Uh, in in um, Mark 4, 39, Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. So the rebuke isn't just saying, I rebuke you, wind. I rebuke you, waves. The rebuke was, be still. Settle down. And all of a sudden, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Uh, Peter had stepped up to Jesus and told him that he was not going to go to the cross. But uh, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are, more, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So the rebuke for Peter was, Get behind me, Satan. Awful thing to have had something like that said to you. Mark 9, 24, when Jesus saw the people, uh, the people had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter into him no more. So that's part of the rebuke. You never come back. Um, he named the spirit, commanded him to come out, and said never come back. So that's part of the rebuke. Luke chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 34, or verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, he came out of him and did not hurt him. That's the boy at the fire pit. Jesus rebuked a fever. In Luke chapter 4, verse 39, he rebuked the fever. So he spoke to the fever, and immediately it came out. The reason Jesus is doing that and can do that is he's operating both in authority, God-given authority, and miraculous power. And uh, we, have to, we have to press into that. Let me just give you one more, one more thing here. Uh, this is an odd verse, uh, but go to Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. We're going to stop in just a couple minutes. Uh, I hear Christians, when they deal with the devil, they call him names. I, I, they call him Slewfoot. Uh, they say, they, they mock him. They make, make uh, jokes and name-calling. They strut around. Uh, but in Proverbs 24, 17 and 18, it says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. So there's something unbecoming, a Christ one, 
to vaunt himself over the enemy and to call him names and, and jut out your lower lip and, and make fun of him. And, and people do that. Uh, it's not allowed. So even Jesus, when he said to the disciples, he said, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't rejoice over the fact the enemy does everything you tell him to do. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. There's something about the Lord's watching, and I don't want anything to undercut my authority. Um, even Michael the archangel, uh, when he was contending with the devil, he was disputing over the body of Moses. Moses had died. The devil wanted that body for some reason, and Michael was sent to, to make sure no one ever found the body ever again. I don't know how Luke knew this, but Michael the archangel dared not bring a reviling accusation against the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. And uh, I think there's something that we've got to be careful that we just, he is our enemy when he falls, when he uh, stumbles, when he's commanded to come out. We've got to watch our hearts that we don't, we don't uh, do what Jesus would never do. He just wouldn't gloat over his enemies, and he didn't. And we have to follow the same kind of thing. If you want to study on your own, Acts 19 is an amazing story about the seven sons of Siva who were exorcists who said, we command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches to come out and watch and see what happens to them. Uh, and, and the whole issue in Acts 19, the whole issue is about authority. So that'd be a good assignment. That'd be good homework for you to look at. Amen? Go deal with the devil. You come across something in this coming week or two, don't call me to deal with them. You deal with them. Step up. You'll be amazed at the power that Jesus has given you that you'll never see unless you're in the fray, unless you're into the, in the fight. You'll never know until, until you, you step up and do something with it. And so we want you to grow. We want you to experience it. Lord Jesus, thank you for the authority that you procured for us. You pressed through. You, you went through everything to be able to sit down at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for including us and allowing us to be seated with you above all power and all principalities and all rulers, all authorities, every name that could be named, every disease, every demon. Father, thank you. What a privilege I don't think we really know what we've been given, Father. I'm asking that you'd heighten our awareness as your children. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you.